Hello and welcome to episode 3, season 4 of the Music Works podcast. I'm Katie Beardsworth, director and founder of Polyphony Arts, and today I'm delighted to welcome Matthew Tressler, director of the record label Orchid Classics, to the Music Works studio. First of all, here's a message from our sponsor. Music Works is generously supported by Allianz Musical Insurance, the UK's number one musical instrument insurer, serving the music community since 1960. If these difficult times have shown us anything, it's that life can be unpredictable. Allianz offer cover for all types of instruments and musical equipment, protecting you against accidental damage, loss, theft and more. Plus, every Allianz music policy now includes free legal assistance and support, so you can protect yourself both as a musician and in your personal life. Now, if the worst happens, you won't be left out of pocket and you can get back to doing what you do best. To find out more about this and Allianz's special online offer of two months free cover, go to alliancemusic.co.uk. Allianz, proud to be the insurer of choice for over 70,000 musicians. So Matthew Trussler first made his name as a talented young concert violinist, quickly attracting attention after his graduation from the Philadelphia Curtis Institute in 1998 and gaining an international reputation for his live performances and exciting catalogue of recordings. In 2005, he also started the record label Orchid Classics alongside his performing commitments with the professed goal of providing artists with the creative freedom and artistic control to produce their very best work. Many in the music industry might have expected the violin and live performance to remain the focus of Matthew's career, but in 2019 he made what may seem a momentous decision to step away from that trajectory of his musical journey to focus on his label. With fortuitous timing, he gave his last concert just before the Covid lockdown hit, and as he says to Music Works, has not touched the violin for over 18 months. But he has no regrets. Join me now as we go over to the Music Works studio where Matthew is waiting to speak to us and tell us how good this change has been for him and how he has only enthusiasm for this new focus in his life. Hi Matthew, welcome to the podcast. Thanks so much for joining us. Oh, it's a pleasure. Thanks for having me. Um, welcome. So today we have Matthew Trusler, the director of Orchid Classics. Um, and we're going to talk about um, all sorts of things, um, starting with essentially your perspective um, on the industry at the moment. Um, so first of all, why don't you tell us a bit about yourself and your background? Right, gosh. Uh, the, uh, the brief version is that I started life as a violinist. Uh, almost literally um, started to play the violin as a teeny weeny person and did it you know very seriously and uh, went and studied in America and uh, all the rest of it and then from the late 90s onwards uh, so I signed with an agent in London and started to play concerts and did it uh, with everything I was able to give for basically 20 years and Alongside that, in 2004, so actually quite early in the whole journey, I started this record label as a, just really entirely as a hobby. Um, a hobby slash kind of a bit more than a hobby, I guess. But um, it was something that I, I think I sort of always wanted to do to start something. And um, 
it became a record label that I started. And that was more and more of a thing as time went on. And I uh, started very slowly with just sort of one album a year. And then I was for the first couple of years and they were obviously involving me because that's was the most obvious thing. And then uh, the, the key moment was when uh, the agency that I was with Hazard Chase and James Brown, the, the amazing head of Hazard Chase, um, showed some interest in getting involved uh, in the record label. And so they sort of joined the team and, and helped raise some money and, uh, and basically turned it into a, helped me to turn it into a business. And we had um, somebody couple of people in turn come and, and run it as a business while I was allowed to just do the artistic stuff and um, a couple of others including James were sort of in, in involved very heavily involved in the business development and and that went on for 10 or more years and and finally four years ago I decided that the time was right to take over the running of the label and to try and play less and less sort of thinking slightly naively that I could do both of these things at the same time that I could sort of run the label full time and I still had a teaching job at the time and I could teach on Thursdays and practice in the evenings and do this and and I realized pretty quickly that that was a recipe for doing you know a lot of things badly and so I uh yeah quite swiftly uh took steps to to wind down the playing and finally had just the best conversation ever with James um the sort of conversation that you never really expect to have with the manager where we both were just like we neither of us need to do this like there's no sense it's like when a relationship breaks up it's very rarely both of you that that you know want it exactly as much and uh there's no hard feeling in any way at all it was just like you know so pleased we were both so pleased that this thing we'd worked on together for for a long time was uh, in a in a place that I could make a living from it and and that I didn't need to just sort of play concerts to prove to myself that I could or something or whatever it was and um so we we agreed to to sort of stop working together on on concert on my concert life and that uh became uh a last it turned into a last concert last year um just completely fortuitously timed before the pandemic um, that I stopped playing concerts. And so, yeah, this this record label has been my life uh, increasingly ever since. And now it is pretty much all I all I do in a day. So that, well, yeah, not that brief, that version, but <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, these things are complicated, aren't they? Uh <laughs> That's uh, thank you for sharing that with me. So that's a, it's an interesting journey, isn't it? So um, I'm trying to decide, um, you know, so I mean, we what we talked about before this was um, the fact that this um, fairly unique combination of um, professional activities, the playing, the teaching, the record label all at once and separately has given you a particular perspective um, on the industry and a, and a particularly deep understanding of it. Um, so where do you think we're at industry-wise at the moment, if that's not? Because this is a question I've been asking myself this week as well. <laughs> well, yeah, it's a big one. It's a bit like, yeah. you know, what's the meaning of life? Exactly. Um, I, 
I mean, so again, important to say really that the only part of the, you know, the, the part of the industry that I'm really involved with on a day to day uh, basis is, is the record side. So I see very closely what's happening there. And, and uh, that has been, uh, thank God, purely by luck and, and not by design, uh, relatively unscathed by the pandemic, just because we've not needed to rely on large groups of people gathering in a room in the way that uh, concerts have. And so certainly with small scale recordings, you know, we had some orchestral stuff that needed to be pushed back and, and uh, that was fine, but, but smaller scale chamber music, certainly, you know, recital recording, basically was able to continue as as ever and um at least for, for last year everything that we released was already recorded anyway before the whole pandemic started so we were able to to just sort of ride that out and and certain certain things actually uh, improved you know streaming became more of a thing uh, uh, than than ever in people's lives because for obvious reasons and uh and there were you know there were things within that that I found interesting that the types of music people were listening to had, had changed because traditionally you listen to pop music when you're in the gym when you're in the uh, in the car maybe when you're on the tube or commuting these are the sorts of times people listen to pop music and obviously they weren't doing that and doing those things so they were working at home and they were needing to de-stress and so music without lyrics and kind of calming music if you like which is what a lot of people think of a lot of people who aren't intimately um, uh, involved in classical music, think of it as. Um, so a, a lot of people were coming to classical music. So streaming, you know, really did take take a uh, you know a positive hit. Um, and and even you know uh, just people buying CDs. I think people really wanted to listen to music throughout the last year year and a half. So nothing really changed in that sense. What did change was obviously that me on a daily, on a sort of daily level, talking to artists and being friends with so many artists and, you know, still partly feeling like I'm not that far from being one myself. Um, There's just, obviously there was such a sense of, um, of just confusion and, uh, and not necessarily pessimism because I didn't really ever feel that from my own friends who are who are still making their living forming actually bizarrely a, a lot of optimism uh, was floating around it was just a, more just confusion i think where where is this going and how long is it going to last and um how just how many things am i going to need to sell to get through the next uh next period and but it was also it was a time that there was so much creativity out there and i felt like uh, my own um world was just filled more than ever with conversations with with people who just had ideas and wanted to make them happen at last and artists had the time maybe that they hadn't had previously and and the desire to find channels to to be heard and to still make music and obviously recording is one of those and it was sort of the only one of those for a while um so in that sense our slate of recordings uh, became fuller than ever. And um, so, yeah, a very strange year, obviously, 
in so many ways, but as we appear, hopefully in the UK to be on the on the way out of that period, um, it's it's just amazing to see that these concerts are happening. I went myself to three concerts last week, which was just oh, wow. peculiar, having not been to one for uh since march last year i hadn't even been on a you know on a bus um <laughs> you know i just really i didn't feel like i wanted to be um oh. but but going to i went to uh natalie klein's festival in dorset last weekend just to watch and to just sort of hang out with them and it was a, just such a joy to see to to just to see that happening and to I mean, I, I actually love sitting in concerts. One of my favorite things to do now is to sit in recording sessions and concerts, not having to do any work because I just see how I see what they're putting in and I see what it means to do that and uh, and how lovely it is to sit and just uh, enjoy the fruits of that without having to actually, you know, get your hands dirty. So anyway, I, I it was amazing to go to these concerts last week and to feel like that's happening again. And, and it and it's you know, just touch wood, it is going to continue. Yeah, absolutely. I hope so too. Um, it is kind of bizarre to see things opening up and also how quickly we come back to feeling the normality of it. Um, I went to uh, London three times, well, twice over three days last week for the first time in over 18 months. And uh, it was just sort of... <laughs> reminded that the you know constant travel and kind of train journeys and meetings and so on used to be a big part of my professional life that I just hadn't been doing for such a long time also I mean I don't I don't I don't miss I don't miss that like I don't I think there were real improvements to the kind of to the the working um the, the drill you know I think mm. a lot of wasted time was uh oh yeah became over the last 18 months you know sort of it's uh as everybody is aware we replaced a lot of wasted time uh with constructive i mean you know you, there's a limit to what you can do on zoom but but actually you know it did i think we all did become quite comfortable with um the fact that you can achieve what would have taken you know, an hour and a half in a club somewhere with an hour's traveling on either side in a simple conversation like this. I hadn't realized how much going to festivals and meeting and going to sort of events that I was running and or not or whatever was a part of my overall work-life balance because I usually work from home. I always have since I started my business. And so uh, I thought, well, you know, work from home, that's what I do. It's not going to be that big of a difference for me. But actually the fact that I was, so what I know, I think the balance usually for me is about 70% sitting in my box room office at home, 30% meeting an awful lot of people very very quickly and in high pressure situations like festivals um and actually that balance worked quite nicely for me because i don't really want to do either one of those things all the time um right. but when when the in-person side of it was was not there i suddenly realized <laughs> quite how much working from home was uh, was not you know um the thing that i wanted to be doing all of the time um, no, yeah. no, I think that's exactly right. And it is, it's going to be a balance now. Um, yeah, absolutely. Um, so do you think, 
what's so obviously from your perspective as uh, the director of a record label you've seen an upturn or a busy period during the pandemic um people um being interested in you know the, the discs you already had planned still being able to go ahead the people thinking to themselves well, I can't get into the concert hall so perhaps I can make a disc um I don't know if that was something you saw on your side it's certainly something I saw on mine um lots and lots of people getting in touch with me for advice on um getting funding for recording contracts and recording um, projects and so on yeah um and so what now is how how are things looking now because i like what i was reflecting on this week was actually when i was writing i do like a little mini micro podcast as well as this one which is sort of usually just me reflecting on um what's going on at the moment and i realized i've been doing that for about a year and um or rather since the beginning of this year and every week i've had some i've sort of had conversations with people and i've been like okay i feel like we're all in the same boat and this is the boat and that's what i've talked about and now i don't feel like that's necessarily true anymore i don't think everyone is in the same boat anymore i think it's gone far more in some back to sort of some kind of normal or new normal and everyone's doing different things again what's your do you, do you agree i mean i think it's it's in some ways it's it's surprised me how quickly we have just bounced back to in so many ways to to what we were doing before and and i think when you walk around outside certainly where i live in london it's it's like nothing ever happened and uh and in a nice way going to the concerts over i mean i sat in cadogan hall on on wednesday night uh in a packed hall like nobody i mean it, it was like nothing ever happened and i i mean obviously that was wonderful to be to be part of so yeah and i mean as far as as far as the sort of the 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 music industry side of that question goes i think obviously musicians are just dying to get out there and play concerts again and i mean first of all just practically speaking to make a living again and also because you do and this was really evident during the pandemic, especially at the beginning, you do have an innate sense of wanting to, to, to well, to kind of uh, give to others what you've just spent your life learning to do. I mean, it's sort of, it, it really is the second side of the coin. You know, you, you spend your life learning to do this thing and continually you spend your life reminding yourself how to do it and to get better at it. And the other side of that coin is that you don't just do it in your bedroom um it's kind of like if a tree falls down in the forest did, did nobody sees it did the tree fall down well if you're a brilliant violinist in your bedroom and nobody hears you does it does it actually matter at all yeah. uh <laughs> as a performer that is clearly a just a huge seismic part of it and having that taken away um was was really like taking the you know removing the limbs off off an artist and uh and it was great that so many people were forced to be creative in how they got their their you know their music out to the world and we saw some incredible um creativity on social media and and people who i mean I, i'm sure for instance you know if i use an example i'm sure he won't mind me talking about it callum smart the violinist who i've known for years and years and years since he was a little lad uh and he phoned me uh, really early in the pandemic just to sort of 
just to just to chat about what was going on and what I thought about things and and how things were looking in you know from his viewpoint and 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 he wasn't and again I'm, he won't mind me talking about this he he wasn't really sure which uh, which part of this whole new social media necessity he was comfortable with and and everybody it was like a tsunami of Bach from the bedroom at the beginning of the pandemic mm. it, it was like yeah. there were every musician everywhere there wasn't a single person who didn't think who didn't immediately rush to broadcast something from their bedroom and and that was kind of incredible but it, it made a lot of people quite uh I think fearful of how they were going to cut through that uh, what they could yeah, do themselves I, I think that was that there was a real split wasn't there actually as well because as as much as it, I think to a lot of people it felt like everyone was doing it but I actually spoke to a lot of people who were quite worried well it sounds as though Callum was quite worried about what this meant and how they could deal you know they didn't feel comfortable doing it and so yeah it was a real dilemma at the time many people in their own way equally positively responded by saying you know what I'm just gonna have a few weeks off uh you know there were artists that I know were really really struggling with the treadmill and uh, and never saw themselves being able to take six weeks off let alone six months off and uh, one artist in particular who I spoke to earlier who I've been speaking to for years about about this issue of being on a treadmill and how do you ever really get off it and uh, at first early in the pandemic this particular artist was sort of I think the first thing they did was go and write a list of you know new repertoire they could learn and then sort of three four weeks later I spoke to them and said how's it all going I haven't I haven't touched my instrument I just as soon as I got back and into the house and sort of locked down with the family and uh you know got the recipe book out it was like that's I'm I just don't want to practice I really don't want to practice mm -hmm. and I just thought that was brilliant why would you not why would you not do that I always loved taking bits of time off when I was playing but um you know if 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 you're a bit of enforced you know so I think I think that was really positive in a different way can you um can you talk a bit would you mind talking a bit about the treadmill what i know that this will resonate with a lot of people because i actually wrote down when you said earlier about stopping playing i wonder if people would find it interesting to know what this means to you or what it, what it meant to you this the the idea of the treadmill that's this that's difficult and then the, what leads to deciding to stop playing yeah i mean it's something that you start so early in life and and it's so sort of uh it, it's so completely integral to who you are um when you're at school already as a as a child you kind of even if you're not particularly brilliant you know i'm not suggesting that i was a, as a child particularly brilliant but just the fact that i did something that sort of seriously and i practiced really hard and um that was me that was who I was and so I was almost known as violin Matt you know it it I mean I was uh not not even almost and I went to thank you know I, I thank god that my parents put me in a normal school because I think uh, I think I might have gone a bit nuts if they hadn't have but uh, I was in a in a, a you know non-music school um which was a fantastic wonderful place uh, which gave me the free time to kind of practice at, during some certain school hours and 
and go and have my lessons and all the rest of it, but not have to be um, only doing that, I guess. And that was really useful. That was important for me as a as a child, but still, obviously, it was my it was my thing. It was my badge, and and that just go, grows and grows and grows, kind of exponentially as you take it more and more seriously. And by the time I got to America, it's like, well, I mean, that that was that. I mean, that was what I did. That was who I was. And I think I said earlier that if you had told me 10 years ago or maybe 10 years, 20 years ago, certainly, uh, that I might one day just not play anymore, I would have really been very confused by that. And but yet nothing could feel more comfortable for me now that I feel really like I've I've put that kind of to bed. And the, and the, to come back to your question about the treadmill, I think I think that you just you just put so much of yourself into one thing that it doesn't leave much of you for anything else somehow. And I, I talk all the time to artists just as a, as a friend, I, I did whilst out, you know, uh, uh, on the road, you know, you have, if you go and play a concert up in, uh, up in the top of England, you know, you necessarily have 15 hours in the car with, uh, with at least one or two other musicians. Uh, so this was how, you know, this was a huge part of my life, just spending time with artists, musicians in cars and on trains and all the rest of it. And you talk about everything. And, and you know, maybe it was me pushing the conversation in one direction, but I don't, I don't think it was. I, I think that it's a, it's a common theme among musicians that, especially when you get to kind of midlife stage and maybe things aren't quite like you thought they would be when you're, when you're kind of signing on as a, 15 year old or 14 year old you don't really think well what if i what if i end up living in a different country to my kids or what happens if i end up uh, you know uh with some of the other things that life might chuck in um thinking of my own circumstances and uh yeah you have to in the in the end you can't ignore life and 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 i know that this is a, a thing for all humans and musicians being humans they they don't can't escape from that and but but a common theme again is that what really else is there for you to do because yes you you know many of us teach and and find other ways to just relax slightly the need to go because if all of your income comes from from playing concerts I mean I remember really you know clearly this kind of dual um, emotion uh, that every time I would speak to my manager and they would say got your concert in whatever let's say if it was in Australia the first thought would be oh my god wow that's incredible I'm gonna go to Australia and the second thought would be oh my god I've got to go to Australia you know uh and and now I never really shook that even if it was just I've got you know you've got a concert in Yorkshire I'd, I'd think okay, can I get back? Can I, does that mean, you know, what does that actually mean? And I really struggled with that because I desperately wanted to perform and to get out there and to do what I was doing. But I really hated being away as much as that meant, you know. Uh, so just by definition, the, if you have paying work, it means you have to go away somewhere and you better really like going away somewhere. Otherwise that's gonna really great after a while. And I think it, as it does for so many musicians, but I remember Vladimir Mendelssohn, the violist, Vladdy, who died just a few weeks ago, and there was a massive outpouring 
uh, from so many people you knew and loved Vladdy. And I remember stepping into his room, his kind of hotel room, and it was just kind of like this chaos. Uh, but like organized chaos he'd moved in he'd like absolutely moved in and I to this to this room and I remember sort of saying you know wow this is this is something else I mean like I I had my suitcase and I was sort of ready to pack it again as soon as I arrived you know and, and I remember him saying no I'm I'm a gypsy I live I, I eat like a gypsy I live like a gypsy this is you know he was so happy with it I mean as and that that's and I, I had no reason not to believe him uh that was seems to be who he was and i know I, I know other musicians like that who really do love to just be to uh, you know free in that way and um uh, it happens that i didn't and um and i know a lot of musicians do struggle with that so this this sort of treadmill is just something that um it, it's not even you know the the, the idea of being on this on a, on a treadmill it sort of makes it sound like it's just frantically fast paced it's not even about that it, it mm. for me e even if it were that I was home for a week or 10 days it was just the sort of knowing constantly that it it would end so that my time at home would end and I would have to again in order to make a living in order to do what I was doing I would then have to pack that suitcase and and the, the last sort of anecdote on that is um another great friend who said when he well just off from the belchers um who said when they took a sabbatical i said to him did you put your suitcase in the cupboard for your uh when you started your sabbatical and he said no i put it in the bin i put it in the bin <laughs> i just thought that was brilliant he you know they started their sabbatical and he put his suitcase in the bin and uh i think that's what a lot of us to do yeah well thank you for sharing that i'm sure it's something that um that will relate a lot of people will relate to um how was it um how how long was the process in deciding to stop um playing and you know how long was, did you have to make a sort of firm decision on that i know you've already mentioned that you decided to pair it back a bit and then took a further step it was it was kind of continuous I guess I think for a long time I'd been saying I wish I could do that I I think I hated that I wasn't Maybe able to do Why um, it? well that's such a good question and the answer is purely a psychological uh one that I didn't um I didn't feel safe I guess to do that and it's funny because you know being a musician is not a safe option in any way whatsoever as we all found out you know so kind of painfully over the last year and a half but I mean you know that's not the career you go into uh for security and so you know that that's craziness but I've I think I just felt that um I needed to have this sort of blanket, safety blanket of, well, if everything goes wrong, because what do I know about business? I mean, I studied music. I don't, you know, I'm, I'm self-taught, you know, I've, I've sort of, I can read all the books you want, but I mean, that that was kind of in my head. And, and I've sort of, I think I probably thought that I needed to have some things going on that if things didn't work out, I could, 
which is a nonsense because you can't you can't just uh, start phoning people and saying oh but remember me you know I'd like to come and play a concert for you you couldn't do that even if you wanted to I don't think and um, it, it just needed it needed someone to say well as someone did actually say to me uh, at one point um, you need to just stop like messing around and just you know stop talking about it just do just do it I do think it's really important for youngsters to be you know on one hand yeah you've got to be you've got to be one track minded and this kind of you know looking at this incredible tennis player right now is just so Radicani she's so just sort of free to be 19 or 18 or whatever and just you know, she said in her interview the other day, I don't even know what I'm doing tomorrow. Don't even know what's what's on, you know, it's it's just it's just all brilliant. It's just amazing. Not even checking my phone. Uh it you know, and that she just is, wants to be the best at what she's doing, and she is, and that's all brilliant. And it should be that way. But somehow, as a young musician, you need to have one eye on well, you know, uh even if you're one of the lucky ones and it all goes really, 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 really well. That doesn't mean that you're going to want that forever and ever and ever. Um, mm. You know, maybe you have well, to. Yeah, absolutely. And as, I mean, when you think about the sports analogy, in most sports, your career is very, very dictated by your age. Um, and oh, so yeah. to look at to look at footballers, they um, are likely to have retired by their mid 30s. So no one's expecting them to have that all-consuming no. lifestyle for an entire entire working life. No, you're done by you're well done by you know by certainly by my age by you know completely done by and you're expected to have a second chapter. You're um, yes. even if you're I've watched Tom Brady giving an interview the other week and and he was talking you know he he's one of the few that you know really extraordinarily high performing at a really old late age i mean 43 is really really old for a professional american football player but it's actually really young for an entrepreneur which is his next mm. you know his next chapter and so that's kind of a nice i thought that was kind of a nice way of looking at it and we 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 look up to and idolize you know rightly these uh musicians who have lived and breathed it sort of literally until the day they die and the you know the longer the career and the more extraordinary it is and that is is quite right but it's also quite daunting as a 40 year old to be seeing uh these people these you know uh these heroes who have been doing it twice as long and 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 i found that as how i don't can i do I really see that as my future, even if I wanted it to be? Could I really still be playing recitals when I was like 80? And and and, uh, and then that leads you into all sorts of questions like, well, no one's giving me a pension. No one's, uh, there's no, you don't create any assets as a musician. It's sort of quite far from it. You're a depreciating asset from the moment you start, really. Uh, and you're left with only what you've saved. And that's, actually i found that quite quite un well quite terrifying actually i think the point i'm making is that i feel now like i could go and do something else like there's i could go there's once you stop saying 
I make I'm I am a person who plays the violin and that is what I do. Um, there, you know, there's many different places you can end up. I think that's seems to yeah. Me. No, I agree. There's something about um, knowing that you're yeah that you have that you're able to learn new things and explore new avenues and that you can go in different directions from what you thought is quite freeing actually. Well, this um, is, I mean, and this is really encouraged, you know, every time I read a, you know, book about business or an autobiography or uh, of a, of a business person or, which I do a lot because it's kind of a hobby, they, you know, they're always talking about having a growth mindset and being, and, and learning all the time. And, and yes, musicians do often say the same stuff, but it's, it's still quite, you know, within quite a, a, a small, you know, sphere, it seems to me. Do you think, do you think there's something in the way, the way training is though, because like I have to, I often think about this and I obviously, I know that in order to be a top flight musician, you need to train incredibly intensively and have very particular ways of, of, of approaching that. Um, but, you know, there's often a lot of criticism, um, for instance, on, um, music colleges and universities for not teaching entrepreneurial skills. I think that's changing a lot now. I'm seeing a lot of um, entrepreneurial modules and courses going into um, alongside professional musician training. Um, but is there something in the sheer intensity of training to be a professional musician that sort of prevents you from, from almost being allowed to have the vision to see that you could do other things? Do you I think, mean, or is that, I, you know? No, yes, well, absolutely. I mean, um, I can only really speak from my own experience of it. And, and where I studied in America was, you know, spectacular in, in, in so many ways. Um, but I mean, and, and I don't want to say anything disparaging because I, I, it's a tremendous institution, but either I wasn't really taught it or I wasn't really open to being taught it you know the 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 world outside of learning your instrument is a big one and i mean we had a class and i've talked a lot about this we had a class called 20th century as it was then 20th century musician uh which was an elected like you didn't have to do it and i chose to do it which maybe said something about who i was i guess but not many people took that class there's probably only about six of us in there i reckon but the point of it was to teach you some kind of entrepreneurial skills but but actually it was really only about how you write your bio, how you get an agent, how you, you know, they had agents come and talk to us and they had, I mean, it was very specifically uh, about how to become, about the administrative side of becoming a great musician. Um, yeah, great. So yes, I would, have, I would have liked to have learnt, I would have liked for them to have had a class, God, it could have been one hour a week called what happens if i choose not to be a violinist one day you know because <laughs> that's, that's like, like i mean it's a really serious topic yeah and yeah you, you don't you, you don't leave with i didn't leave with anything that prepared me for that really i i i taught myself everything that i anything i do know about life beyond music it, i taught myself or or was taught by james brown for instance who was as important to my life as a as a mentor and as a teacher as as any of my violin teachers were actually because that's what I do now and his kind kind of guidance and help and knowledge and all the rest of it uh, is more as as 
impactful on my on my life daily as as anything any violin teacher ever taught me was during the 20 years that that was what I did so um I'd have liked that a bit earlier maybe mm. but yes I think if you are and I think also the other thing to say about it is that it's it's kind of it's not quite the done thing as a musician to be good at the other stuff like it almost feels a little like um and again like I've said this loads of times out loud and so it sounds a bit like I repeat myself but if you if you're a musician you're kind of expected not to really understand contracts or or even issues as as basic as your own diary or your emailing or it's like it doesn't quite fit to be a musician who is also super well organized and uh it feels like it's a bit a bit dirty almost you you're expected to be so consumed with higher matters of music that you can't you know you you couldn't understand um something as as earth earthly as a as a record contract for instance i think that there are lots that and then that as with anybody there are lots of people who are who genuinely that's not their main skill set and there are some people who I think, yeah, have been discouraged from getting good at those things because it's it's been sort of implied that they don't need to be or, um, you know, however that works. And I'm this is one of the things that I do with my company is to is to sort of try and provide helpful, um, advice on you know how to understand contracts and how to make sure that you're working in in an you know that what you're being asked to do is ethical and so on and so forth. Um, and so I know that it's it's not really to do with their ability to understand things. It's more to do with just the general way the industry appears um, unclear. Or I definitely think that it is right to say to artists now that it will benefit your career if you can be switched on to what's going on, even if you don't actually deal with all of it, because it's it's apparent when you're on the ground, isn't it? I, that is exactly right. And and. Again, in in business learning, that's what you're told all the time. Mm. By any by anyone you'll talk to or any book you read, it talks about you know. Well, first of all, kind of just the art of delegation and about kind of understanding what you're what you're good at and what you need to find somebody else's uh, who is good at for you. But to be, you know, yeah, as they say, kind of the CEO of your own life and i think as a musician yes you are a little business and or in a, a big business in some cases and you may have people working for you but you, you know you're going to be much better off if you know what they're doing and if you take an interest in and a positive in a positive way not in a kind of micromanagement like you know because yeah. yeah as artists we're and i was definitely guilty of this and i apologize to all the people that i worked with um at the, you know but uh, at the time but we're always very good at, at chasing up to find out if you're getting us concerts or like what have you been doing you, you know but when it comes to actually some of the more constructive stuff that you can do as an as an artist to help the people who are working with you as opposed to for you um you know that's where people are often a bit less switched on and and that's uh it, it can be really helpful to be more active but yet actively involved or actively knowledgeable of what what's happening and you're you're exactly right and um of course in the end of the day it's about the art and 
uh, and we, you know, nobody forgets that. But, but yeah, without this uh, kind of wheel turning underneath, there is it, it doesn't sort of exist in a commercial way, and and that's a brutal, raw reality. But it's absolutely the same with 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 making records, and and I would say the same to anybody who asked. I'd be lying if I didn't say that. You know, you're you're talking about recordings to people who are being pitched stuff hundreds of times a day probably literally and uh how you're going to rise above the noise is up to you and that's not just the job of your agent i mean far from it or you know you've got to you've got to make that easy for them otherwise it's not going to happen and some people do that more effortlessly than others but uh it's clearly part of it I agree completely. Something that I talk about a lot is the, um, you know, the agents are not magicians, and the <laughs> can confirm. No. And uh, we, uh, you know, it is, um, no. it is our job to to sell. But you know, and uh, you know, I think I think this flips in that it's always the brilliance of the artist and not the brilliance of the agent that actually um, sells the concerts. And that no no one should forget that. So and that brilliance is it's it's musical, but it's also um, it's also other things. Well, um, I think that's oh, that's obviously right. Um, but the way I often have describe it is that the ceiling uh, when you uh, when you're working for an artist or or you know with an artist, the ceiling is just that much lower when they don't. Uh, when they're not engaged and involved in the right way yeah and, yeah I agree. and if they are the ceiling just rises it's, it's sort yeah. of that simple like there's just less you can do on behalf of an artist uh without full and positive engagement and and that doesn't mean like i say micromanaging um uh, the details that actually some probably don't really matter it's 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 about you know the, the bigger stuff to just to help people that you're working with absolutely couldn't agree more well i think we could go on for a while on this phone but i think perhaps we should round <laughs> <Yeah>. this off <laughs> it's all right with you um yeah. it's been a real pleasure to talk to you thank you so much matthew for taking us on this journey with you musicians are always reinventing themselves and this is such an extraordinary example someone at the top of their game having the vision and courage to take a major step change and one that has so obviously worked for you. The recording industry is such a hot topic at the moment and I know that our followers will find your information on that really insightful as well. You can find out more about Orchid Classics at orchidclassics.com and you can catch up on the other episodes of the podcast and see what else we're up to at Polyphony Arts on our website polyphonyarts.com. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Music Works podcast. If you've enjoyed this conversation, please subscribe, check out our other great episodes and even better, leave us a review. You can also sign up to our mailing list at www.polyphonyarts.com forward slash mailing dash list for updates and news about what Polyphony Arts is up to for all you classical music folk out there. You can find more information in the show notes as well. Meanwhile, I'm Katie Beardsworth and I look forward to sharing with you the next great episode of Music Works. Music Works is generously supported by Alliance Musical Insurance, 
the UK's number one musical instrument insurer. Alliance Music Insurance, serving the music community since 1960, proud to be the insurer of choice for over 70,000 musicians. Music Works is a Polyphony Arts production. Thank you for listening.